more time. You're probably not excited. <laughs> okay? That's how it is, isn't it? It's the tension between the, the preacher and the congregation, I guess. Leviticus chapter 16, if you'll turn there in your Bibles, Leviticus 16. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter today. Although, as in most cases, when we deal with Leviticus uh, 16, or Leviticus in, as a book, we may not completely exegete every single verse, but we're going to get the theme of what it's saying. And today is no light topic. We're talking about the Day of Atonement, okay? Uh, I always liked what one preacher said once when he was talking about the Day of Atonement. He calls it the at-one-ment, because you can see that inherent in the word, the at-one-ment. Oh, I haven't plugged in. Sorry about that. Okay. Chapter 16, the, the Day of Atonement. So we're talking about uh, serving with holy distinction. And I'm using that not only as it relates to the, to the Levitical priests, not only as it relates to, the, to the, the average Israelite that went to the tabernacle that was there, but it also relates to us. Leviticus is not just about them back then. It also has much to speak to us today. In fact, it's really kind of hard now for, for me personally to think about uh, holiness, to think about separation, to think about consecration that I read about in the New Testament without understanding it from its foundational principle as, dis, as it's found in the Old Testament, but for certain in the book of Leviticus. <clears throat> and so in everything, I see Jesus leaping off, off the page and out of the verses. So do we, ever, do we ever think about our holy God as he's seen in, in Leviticus? Do we ever think about our holy God as he is uh, revealed in Scripture to us? Today in Sunday school, we talked about God the Most High. And how far above us he is. And we talked about, as uh, Martin Luther was writing to Erasmus, he said, your thoughts of God are too human. Okay. And, and that's kind of a, as we discussed, that's, a, that's kind of a blow from Martin Luther, one theologian to another. Your thoughts of God are too human. And, uh, and much in, in case of what we deal with in Western Christianity today, as defined by what would be known as, as basically all of the European peoples, okay, from whence the Reformation came, and uh, names like Jonathan Edwards, and, and uh, uh, all of these, John Wesley, and, and, and Spurgeon, all of these, these great reformers from uh, uh, Luther back there, and, and Sharnock, and so many others, as seeing that where they ministered now are complete, sometimes in many areas, vacuums of the gospel even being present. How did that how did that happen? How did, how did the Western uh, church, okay, not referring to Catholicism, but the Western hemisphere of Christianity, what was once a bastion of great doctrinal foundational truths and preaching and missions, okay, how did it end up where it is today? And I can't help but think is that we, like Erasmus, perhaps we think of God as too human. He's not otherworldly. He's no longer captivating. He's just simply, as uh, the book in our small group study has brought out, more of a perfect image of ourselves, in which case is very low, isn't it? So, our holy God, exalting Him for who He is, taking that upon yourself no matter what you do in life, you serve the Lord God if you are His child. And if you're not, if you're not, if you don't know Christ, 
I want to tell you, the Bible still says that God commands all men everywhere to repent. And the moral law of God is still in effect that we are to strive to uphold and honor in our life. And I got to think, I got to say, I think all of us appreciate the fact that we should not murder. Because if we go home at night and we take that to its logical conclusion that somehow we're exempt from that now. Well, in many cases, they think that, don't they? And you see what happens as a result. All this, I believe, has happened because people have gotten away. And the church in these Western countries have gotten away from exalting God. And they want to make Him more user-friendly. More approachable. And in fact, they leave the God of the Bible behind and they create their own. So, we're going to be talking about the Day of Atonement then as it relates to some things. Uh, and, and so much so as we see it in the New Testament. So, in honor of God and His Word, let's stand. We're actually going to read a portion of Leviticus 16 just to start with. We're going to read the back end of it. It's sort of a conclusion. These are uh, conclusion uh, responses. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 31 through 34. This is out of Leviticus 16, verses 31 through 34. As God sums up what the Day of Atonement is. And here is what the Lord says. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. Now he's speaking to these old covenant Israelites. He's speaking to those old covenant priests. But he said, it's, it, you sh- in, it, in it he says, you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever, and the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place, this is looking ahead to when Aaron was to pass on, shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes, the holy garments, then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, notice that's the first thing he does, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And of course, uh, they did as the Lord commanded Moses. Let's pray. Father, again, we need great assistance from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This far removed from this this, uh, economy of the Old Covenant, especially not even being... Uh, Jews ourselves uh, and may probably most of us not even have any Jewish friends that are messianic to be able to talk to us we ask that you would help us to understand and apply the truths of the holiness of God as it is in the day of atonement and the and the majesty of Jesus Christ as he fulfills it all as we look at this today in Jesus name amen you can be seated first thing out of the box and I'm going to be kind of doing this a la carte a little bit the first, thing, the first thing out of the box when I was studying about the Day of Atonement, atonement is from Gordon Winham, as I've said before, one of the preeminent uh, uh, theologians and wrote a good commentary on the book of Leviticus. He says, The main purpose of the Day of Atonement ceremonies is to cleanse the sanctuary from pollutions introduced into it by the unclean worshipers. Now let's just stop there for a second. How would you feel? I'm going to use an analogy in the best Mickey way I can. 
Okay? Brother Lynn's not here. But back during the whole COVID thing, Lynn bought this high-powered fogging machine that would sort of decontaminate everyone's germs. And he'd come in and he blasted the sanctuary and everything. We're good for a year. I mean, it's just, just Lynn, you know. So what, what would you think if after immediately as soon as the last one of us left the building, you saw a couple guys come in with white suits on, face masks, and these big fogging machines... <laughs> You would probably think, are we that dirty? <laughs> they have their big blue gloves on, you know, biohazard or something on the front end of it. What would you think if you looked behind you, last one leaving, and you saw that team come in and start just decontaminating the place? You would think, I'm offended or something. I, am I that, am, do they think we're that gross, Right? Now, of course, I'm speaking of physical germs here. It's kind of like that in this statement. The Day of Atonement was a time when the very tabernacle machinery itself needed to be cleaned, cleansed. Now, it wasn't because, oh, there's some dried blood left over, let's scrape it off. No, it was the spiritual contamination of the people who never have to stop coming because they never have to. They never stop sinning. And the priests are part of the sin problem. Because we all have this thing in us that's sin. And it's, it, we, we get it from our first federal head, Adam. And it's spread to all of us. That's why you sometimes I'll hear people say, Did you ever be praying and just have this most awful thought come through your head? Where does that come from? Well, that comes from sin. That's where it's in us. Okay, So imagine that, that tabernacle. Imagine those priests, imagine their priestly vestments, imagine the altar, imagine the altar of incense, imagine the very curtain, the veil, imagine behind there, all of it, once a year, had to be cleansed. Not from dirt and dust, they were in a desert, but because of the spiritual uncleanness of the people. Without a purpose such as this, there would have been little point and the high priest putting his life at risk by entering into the Holy of Holies. The aim of these rituals is to make possible God's, now notice this word, continued presence among his people. Okay. Now next, I, wanna, I want to show you a couple verses out of chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. And I think what I'll do is I'm just going to begin in verse 1 to get context. Now, you remember Nadab and Abihu fried by electric fire as it, as it proceeded from God's presence because they decided that they would come to God at any time they wanted in their own way. There's a prescribed manner of worship in the Old Testament with which you abided by. And I want to tell you, there is still a prescribed manner of worship. Okay? All of what we're doing here today is worship. The music's only a component of the worship. During Sunday school, while we fellowship, while we're listening to the Word of God, this is all part of what we would call our reasonable act of service or our worship on the Lord's Day. And there's a, prescri there's a, pres a pres prescription for that. First, first ingredient, first requirement is humility. You come humbly 
before the throats, before the throne of grace. Second, you, you come thankful that God has, has bestowed His mercy and grace to you. Third, you praise Him for being the creator of heaven and earth. And you exalt Him and Him alone. In other words, the prescription emphasizes Him, not us. That's the first, very first requirement. We don't do it just any way we please. It must be honoring to His holiness. Now let's look here in verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil. Now we're getting in behind the veil of the temple. Or the tabernacle. This is where the ark was. You, you better be very careful about that one. You, you better be very careful. because, And that's what it means that for the, for the high priest... He had to have it all together. <laughs> okay. Now imagine that. Now there are going to be, you know, there's times when not only me, but other pastors and preachers, even, even those of you as worshipers, you come to church and you may not be in the best headspace. You know, maybe you got mad. Maybe the first thing, the first thing that happened to you that morning when you got up was if, if you got animals in your house, you'd realize they left you a gift package right there at the foot of your bed and there went your bare foot right in it. Okay. And that, that just sets a tone, doesn't it? Right? Okay. Or the cat got into the bread you baked. Whatever. That's bad, you know. Or it just could be that you wake up for, in a bad mood for no good reason. you ever do that? No. Brian, thank you. Um, no one talked to Brian. Um, <laughs> separate. <laughs> Separatist. <laughs> but sometimes we, we on this side of, of the new covenant... We don't come in altogether well sometimes. But God is such rich in mercy because He's looking at whose blood atoning for us? Jesus. Whose righteousness atoning for us? Jesus. So we can boldly come and we're like shaking our head. I, I am grateful for one brother and I won't say who, most recently, who surprised me at the altar when he sat down and prayed in front of the other brothers. Lord, I'm dealing with some pride today. Please forgive me. Move me forward. And I thought, that's it. That's the way it ought to be right there. Not cast down, not forsaken, not beaten down to where we are no good, but realizing the victory that Jesus gives us and you keep pushing on. You keep soldiering on because of the blood of Jesus. But for Aaron, he couldn't do that. It was all or nothing. And so what do we see here? Uh, It says in verse 2, And the Lord spoke to Moses, or to Aaron, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. And when after that remark would be said, I don't want to go. <laughs> okay, I, you might be saying to yourself, well, why I would want to go. Have you read what happens to people when they are before the very presence unfiltered presence of a holy god they want they come undone and melt so don't be so rich or so quick to rush into that and Aaron knew so thus Aaron it says in verse 3 shall come into the holy place 
with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering. And he shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. Now you have to remember the high priest, his, he had very beautiful vestments that he wore. He had a lovely headpiece with a gold band that said holiness to the Lord. He had a breastplate full of 12 precious stones. He had uh, onyx stones on his shoulders. He had, it was a blue ephod with a, with a multicolored uh, sash around that. And just beautiful, intricately woven, beautiful robes that he wore. Okay, to demonstrate the beauty and majesty of the Lord. But when he came in to hide the veil, what did he wear? I, I read some people said it's more like the clothes of a slave. White, simple uh, clothing. And notice it says linen trousers. In Ezekiel, it reveals to us that he wasn't even permitted to sweat in the presence of God. That's why they wore linen Specifically, it's hollow, the fibers are. And its cooling effects are very well known. White, pure. So what happens then? So he comes in with these, with these offerings. He puts on these, whole, first he puts on these holy linen trousers because he can't have any of his uh, private parts be exposed. He girds with the linen sash, with the linen turban on his head. He doesn't come in un, un, uncovered. These are the holy garments in verse 4. And he shall wash his body in water and put them on. So he's got to be clean with everything he can do on the outside. And then it says, And he shall take the congregation, or he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel, in verse 5, two kids of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. He can't even help the people yet. How would you like? I was just going, to, this is going to be weird. What if it were that way and I was the high priest? You in trouble. So much trouble. I would already have been dead. And you'd have to drag me out. And somebody would have to carry off my body. And then you'd have to be unclean for seven days. Or 14. And then, how would you like that? Would you like to do that job? And then, how, well, how would you like to be the priest? I would be wringing my hands. Oh my goodness, is there anything undone? Don't look at anything. Don't think anything. Just be here. <gasps> Take me to a happy place. It would be intimidating. I mean, we already had an example of what happens when you don't. In verse 8, well, verse 7. After he uh, makes atonement for himself and for his whole house, that'd be my kids and everybody. You guys sure you're okay. You've done. Don't hold out on me because you realize where I'm going. Could be on your hands. You know. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. One, one lot for the Lord. And the other lot for the scapegoat. Which is called Azazel. Okay we'll get in that in a minute. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell. And offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And again, the word that we get from Hebrew for the word scapegoat is called Azazel. The word ez is in Hebrew equals goat. And the uh, az means to disappear. So the goat is to disappear. There are a few other reasons why this word Azazel is a little bit 
obscure. Some said that it had to identify what was known as a demon that lived in the wilderness from which they, they, they weren't sacrificing to the demon known as Azazel. What they were doing when, they, when, the, when the priest imposed the sins upon the head of this goat was to basically give the demon back all his sin and all his stuff. Here it is, back, we don't want it. That's what it was. But, I, I, you know, no one can be really critical of that, but I, I kind of, I'm just going to keep it with, from the word and from, the, uh, from what the word means, that the goat needs to disappear and take the sins away from the people. As far as the east is from the west, right? So far as the Lord removed our transgressions from us. Okay, so that's the idea behind the scapegoat. He took the sin and went away. And, of course, we have a lot in Jesus there. And it says in verse 11, And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. And it, you notice how many times it kept saying himself, 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 because we're really sinful, sinful, sinful. And when Hebrew uses things really serious, 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 like a holy, 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 it's a lot. That's what it means. And then he shall take a censer full in verse 12, of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine. And notice what it says. He shall bring it inside the veil. Now, this is where it gets really, really scary. And he shall put the incense, notice verse 13, on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony. Notice this part. Lest he die. In other words, some think that the, that, the, that the the incense burning, the smoke cloud of it would obscure him. So that the Lord would not break out against him. It gave him a covering, if you will. Okay, he had a protection. I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hey now. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 20. Wow, this is beautiful. I just don't know how you cannot weep when you read it. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, talking about Abraham again, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. And here's what we get to in verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters, notice this, this phraseology, the presence behind the veil. Remember the rule. The New Testament is your best interpreter of the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us a lot of information. But the New Testament explains it so well. So what was, what was, uh, what was in between those cherub on that, on that uh, mercy seat? The presence of God. Okay. The presence behind the veil. Of course, we know the Holy Spirit, the Holy Presence of God. Now, notice this. We have for us an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, 
which enters the presence behind the veil in verse 20, where the forerunner, okay, stop a second. This has everything to do with the imagery of a skiff lowered off of a ship out in the ocean, seeking to come into port. Many times there was no room right off for the big ship to come in, but there was enough for the skiff to come in, tow the anchor, and be in the harbor representing the ship that's going to come and take that spot. Jesus, the forerunner, get it? Behind the veil. Okay, I just, you should have a wow moment there. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, the king priest. There is so much imagery here. We should stay all day. Okay. Well, after that, he shall take in verse 14 some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. What's the number of seven? Perfection. In other words, there's a complete and perfect cleansing happening here, right? Okay. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. That's for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. That's where God is, okay? Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. He's sprinkling it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So the approach itself is getting cleansed. And the mercy seat is also. So he shall make atonement. Now notice this in verse 16. So he shall make atonement for the holy place. Never forget. God does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nothing in heaven or on earth can contain him. Don't venerate these objects too much. It was gold, but just gold. It was Achaia wood, but just wood. These were pretty, this was a pretty veil of, of different fabric, but it was still just fabric. They needed cleaned. All symbols of that which is required for us to stand before a holy God undefiled. Now, how does that work out for us? Well, for us, Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Once. He died once that He might bring us to God. When we come to Christ by faith, in repentance agreeing with God about our sinful condition. That blood is applied to our lives, our souls, our being, our personage, our person. In an existential sense, in all the senses. And spiritually, we are justified. Just, just like that. It's gone. Wiped out. The handwriting of requirements that you've read about in your Bible, having been a Abolished through his blood. All pictured right here. How can you not want to just weep when you read these passages in Leviticus as God is preaching the gospel all the way back there? 
Oh, man, it's rich. And so it says, because of the, in verse 16, because of the uncleanness, it has to be, he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. It's all got to be cleansed. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place. Until, notice this, verse 17, until he comes out. Now what you thinking? There was no atonement made until he came out of that grave. Remember Jesus? He made atonement for our sins, proving it. Sealing it when he resurrected from the grave. And what does Paul say? Without the resurrection of Christ, we would all be most pitied. Do you see that? And they couldn't move a muscle until that high priest came out. Having made atonement. We couldn't live again. Unless our high priest came out. Having made atonement. Man, oh man, that's something. That he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for, I like this part, all the assembly of Israel. Remember last week we talked about how as the new, we are the, what's called the new Israel or the Israel of God. All the way from here, all the way back, the gospel. And he did that. For all the assembly of Israel. This was a picture before. Fulfilled in Jesus. Perfectly pointing. We get a. The fact that God would graft us in. Blows my mind. We didn't have enough sense to know we were lost. Okay. And then one day. You all saw, a lot of y'all have a story. There you were, minding your own business. Or maybe someone else's. And then Jesus comes along in the power of the Holy Spirit, by the conviction of the Spirit, and shows you your ugliness and your sinfulness, at the same time showing you His mercy and showing you His grace. And through the delivering power of the Holy Spirit, the aklas in the Greek of God, the another like Him, the Helper, He took you out of the world and made you part of the ecclesia of God, which in the Greek is one called out from the world. And He did this before the foundation of the world because you were a gift from the Father to the Son. Suddenly, the Bible got really fat, didn't it? Okay. And just satisfying as those... You know the best part sometimes about cutting a tri-tip on a good butcher block (laughs) is all that juice that runs down in that well. And then you take a biscuit and you soak it up. Okay. That's the best stuff because it's got all the flavor saver, man. Okay. And that to me is what I think. You think he's weird, but that's what I'm thinking here. We got, that's what we, that's what the Bible becomes whenever 
the dots begin to connect. I, was, I notice funny things all the time. And I sometimes say them, which bothers people that are my friends and try to help me. <laughs> I didn't speak it last night, but I was this close. We were over at Link and Kathy's last night, and he, cut a, he, he cooked a tri-tip. And he put it on a butcher block. This butcher block had a well around it that deeper than I've ever seen. It actually had a grade coming down off each side, and it looked like it was about an inch and a half by two inches deep on one end. And my thought was, man, you can drink that, okay? <laughs> I don't know where you got that, brother, but I had butcher block envy, or cutter board, as you, whatever. It, it had a really nice one. You could just jump in and bathe, okay? Well... We're going to keep going. He shall go. He shall go. uh, He shall go out in verse 18. He shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. See, the approach is happening. He's, He's coming. He's starting in the holy place. When you come to Christ, you don't come your way. You don't come through the back door, so to speak. You You have to start with Him and who you are. All of the religious machinery will do you no good. You can go to church all your life, take communion till you're overweight, be baptized till you look like a raisin. And if you still try to not deal with Christ, you'll be lost. You have to come to Christ. Now notice, He shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar. All around, everything has to be clean. Then he shall shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with the finger seven times. Cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of, again, there it is, the children of Israel. And verse 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar. He shall bring the live goat. Remember that one? The one that was left? The scapegoat? The Azazel? And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head. I love that. Because that will preach right there on its own. I've got it. Dibs for the preachers. Both hands. Sin gets both hands. You cannot deal with sin with one hand behind your back. See where I'm going with that one? You have to deal with it with both hands. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and he shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. And that's where we get Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his transgressions from us. If you keep reading down, and I wish we had time to, but I want to show you some stuff out of the New Testament. We read that he comes out, he washes his body again, he puts on his priestly vestments, they release the goat, and they burn everything out there on the fire that was left over. And this is usually done in September or October. Now, 
Leviticus 16. If you read about this first entry of the Day of Atonement, you have mostly what we would call responsibilities for the priests, what they're supposed to do. If you read about the Day of Atonement from Leviticus chapter 23, which we'll eventually get to, you're talking about then more of an emphasis on the responsibilities of the people, what they do. And then if you read about this in Numbers, you're talking about the animals required that, re- that provide the blood. Because what does the Bible say? Without the shedding of, there can be no remission of sins. Something's got to die. Which makes me think of a verse uh, how, here in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. But with, well, I'm going to start up here. Knowing in verse 18 that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Here's the gospel, verse 21. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. One of the things that we, when we go out and we do evangelism and we're talking to people, we knock on their door and we ask them if they know what, their, what the gospel is. And you all that go can attest to this. The, well, a lot of times, 99.9% of the time, I would say, here's what you hear. What is the gospel? Well, I go to church sometimes. I read the Bible sometimes. Oh, yeah, I'm good. But the Bible tells us right here that when you truly have believed the gospel and someone asks you, what is the gospel? You testify of your faith and hope in God through the risen Christ who died for your sins. When that's not existent, you have to give another answer, don't you? Okay. Now, lastly, Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to finish with this. I think I made the little one cry. Sorry, Megan. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 9. So bear with me. Let us read together Hebrews chapter 9. Okay? There's a lot here, but I think this perfectly summarizes, expands, and completely illuminates Leviticus 16. Then indeed, in verse 1, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary. and the earth. So we talked about the tabernacle. We just talked about those components. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. We just talked about the cleansing that needed to be done for the sanctuary. It's also referred to as the holy place. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which that priest had to be careful lest he die, okay? Which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things. We cannot now speak in detail, He goes in verse 6, Now when these things had thus been prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing their services. 
But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way to the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. Remember, it was a shadow to show us what was to come. It was symbolic, verse 9, for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Because these things are concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. That's the new covenant age, Jeremiah 31 and other places. But if you look at this, you'll understand what empty religion is. Ordinances, things you don't eat, things you can provide, things you can offer. But verse 11, now we're getting into the good parts here. But Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Notice this part, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. It bugs me to no end when I drive by a certain big old temple and it says holiness to the Lord. Thus being a temple and saying holiness to the Lord is a direct defilement of this scripture and it's actually blasphemous. Because you cannot improve on the temple not made with hands. Notice it says this. Not with the blood of goats and calves in verse 12, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Don't ever tell me you've tried Jesus and he wasn't much. Because you better be prepared for a really hard conversation. And I would also caution you to not cast the blood of Christ underfoot. Verse 15, and for this reason, and for this reason, <laughs> okay, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That those. Why do we go out to outreach and tell people that don't seem interested about the gospel? Here's one of my reasons that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And how shall they hear without the preaching of the gospel? How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel. For there, in verse 16, is a testament. Or for where there is a will, you might think of it a last will and testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the one who made it. This is called the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. They were trying to keep him from it. Peter said, far be it from you, Lord. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, 
For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. This is where we... Do you see it all coming together? Therefore, in verse 18, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. Where did Christ shed His blood? On the cross at Calvary. For when Moses, had, when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. We read about how Moses did that in Leviticus. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood, there it is, verse 22, there is no remission of sins. And now for the finale. Verse 23, therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Praise God, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. And where did he ascend when he was resurrected? He was brought to the Ancient of Days as a stone cut out of a mountain, which will grow into a mighty mountain. Doesn't it all come together? It says, which are copies of the true, in verse 24, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, what does it say right there in verse 26? Once, at the end of the ages. And a lot of people believe this is talking about the word ages, the old covenant dispensation. That time. The time of that old covenant, that Jewish age, if you will, of old covenant. He has appeared to put away sin. By the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once. And this is with the context of this verse we often use. As it is appointed for men to die once. But after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once. To bear the sins of many. Doesn't say all. Says many. To those. Now notice this. To those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And I wait when that day comes. And, and, and every eye shall see him. Okay? And all of God's people on earth will give a huge collective amen. So be it. Do you realize what we just read here? Do you realize the validity of Scripture? Do you realize the power of the gospel? Do you realize that, that the gospel was not plan B? God, in His foreordination, 
because of His, we call them the divine decrees. Chose for Himself a people. And then He set about to save them. And He shows us the pictures and the images all through the Old Testament. And He completely explains it in the New And it should captivate our attentions to the point that we can't hardly settle down without giggling. That's what the Western church needs to rediscover. Amen. Your first study of God should be His character and His nature. When God is who He is in His infiniteness, you'll understand the the miracle of this gospel. I'm going to ask JT to come. If you don't know Christ today, and the Holy Spirit, like so many of us, is talking to you, compelling you to come, I would say make it easy on yourself and come. Present yourself before the altar of God. Cry out for mercy and repentance and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then turn and leave your sins upon the one who can remove them far away from you. As far as the east is from the west. And live free. Because whom the Son has set free. They shall be free indeed. The gospel. Every day. For a few moments. Do as God would lead.